Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So there's no doubt that the relationship the two coaches have in the big game on Saturday is a little bit different than it might be in some of the big games that we talk about. There are clearly moments, I think, when Kirby Smart goes up against a foe in SEC play where we're kind of left to believe, boy, I'm not quite so sure how much Kirby Smart really likes this guy. Dan Mullen at Florida is clearly an example of that. Gus Malzahn at Auburn probably used to be an example of that. And that's a pretty comfortable spot for Georgia fans to be in. I think there is something that you would take as nice and enjoyable about the fact that your coach views a couple of your rival coaches as kind of a foe, kind of an enemy, somebody that you want to take down and somebody that you want to prevent from having success. But then there are games like Saturday, which is unquestionably a big game. Two teams ranked in the top 10. Georgia and Arkansas are not really rivals. They haven't had a lot of historic you know, meetings over the years. They're so far apart that the two fan bases don't really know a ton about each other necessarily. But the two coaches obviously know each other very well. And Georgia fans love Sam Pittman. And after Saturday, they'll go back to loving him again. And it's a little bit weird sometimes to have that coach on the other sideline where you really have no degree of hate for him whatsoever. Now, on Saturday, you'll have to view him as a foe, and you'll view him as an enemy. He won't get the favorite son treatment, you know, the video board, you know, welcome back or anything like that, returning into Athens and Sanford Stadium. Uh, But generally speaking, Georgia fans don't have a beef at all with uh, Sam Pittman. And if that's true of fans, it's definitely true of Kirby Smart. Smart loves Pittman with good reason. Pittman loves Smart with good reason there as well. And when these two guys have talked about each other this week, their words have just dripped with compliments for each other. There was one moment in particular about Sam Pittman I want to highlight here because I think it's actually really cool. You know, Pittman was, when we, we talked yesterday about some of the things that Pittman said he's kind of learned from Kirby Smart and the way that he runs his program, similar to the way that Smart ran his program at Georgia. And in his Monday press conference, Sam Pittman was kind of talking about some of the same kind of stuff of, you know, here, here's what I like about, you know, Kirby and here's what I've learned. But then he goes on in kind of almost like a, like a stream of consciousness type way. Like, I don't even know that Pittman necessarily meant to say what he was saying. He was just in the midst of talking about Kirby, and this, these are the words that kind of rolled off his tongue. Let me let me set this up some more before we play this. So what uh, smart? So what what Pittman says about smart is, you know, he, he kind of goes into what it is about smart that's made him so successful. And I said before, I, I don't know that Pittman necessarily meant to you know go this way. I just think it's where his mind kind of wandered to. But he really gives you, I think, some pretty interesting insight about what it's like on the inside working with smart what you notice when you're behind those closed closed doors with him, watching what drives Smart, the thing that creates the level of energy that he has, I think this is actually really relevant for this Saturday and a reason that I'll get to. But listen to what is a pretty cool description of Smart by the guy that knows him pretty well, his former lieutenant, now, now competitor on Saturday, Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman. Here he is on Kirby Smart. All he wants to do is win. Now, he's going to treat people right and all that. I don't mean that. I, I certainly don't mean that. But he's he's at his alma mater, and he wants to win for the for the state of Georgia, University of Georgia. And, man, you got to respect all that. And his kids, they play extremely hard. And uh, you don't find many uh, teams that, that, are, that are playing extremely hard that don't have high respect for the head coach. And... And they do, and I was very fortunate to be four years and learn learn from him. Don't you love that from Pittman? He says, listen, all this guy wants to do is win. All coaches want to win. But Pittman says of Smart, he's at his alma mater. He's at the school that he loves. He wants to do this for the state of Georgia, that we're all driven at this profession, in this profession. We're all, we're, we're all committed to success. But the thing that is pushing smart, according to the guy who knew him well, was his feeling that there's no better place to be than the University of Georgia. And there's no state that deserves success more than smart's home state of Georgia does. And that's the thing that fuels Kirby. And Sam Pittman didn't have to say that there. I mean, it's very easy to say, yeah, we got great respect for Kirby. I learned a lot from him. But that's a degree of detail that Pittman didn't have to offer about the guy that he used to work with, but he offered it anyway. And I think it's true. 
And I think back to when Kirby Smart was hired as UGA coach. And, you know, I think we debated at the time, how much does it really matter that Smart went to Georgia? Does it make it more likely that he will succeed? And I think rightly a lot of people said, no, probably not. You know, the quality of coach is what matters here. And, you know, the fact that um, that, that he graduated from Georgia is only an ancillary benefit. It's not necessarily the kind of thing that, that um, is going to fuel his success. And that probably is still true. But there is an obvious way, though, now, these years later. We've seen Smart on the job. We've seen the way that he operates. There is an obvious way now, looking back in retrospect and looking ahead to Saturday, that Smart's status as a former player, UGA grad, husband of another former UGA athlete and uh, UGA alumna, that, that when you see uh, uh, when you see the way this family, this Smart family, has such deep ties to Georgia – there is a way this obviously benefits Georgia right now, and this could not be more relevant uh, for Saturday because when Kirby Smart does what he's been doing, when Smart looks at the challenge of having the noon start and getting recruits to want to be there, getting fans want to be there, as we talked about on yesterday's show with Connor Riley, it is just a much easier sell to get folks excited about a night game because the way that technology has kind of made the night game so cool now that it's not – it's not the same thing as, as making the pitch to make the atmosphere at noon feel the same way. And that's why Smart has been working so hard to get Georgia fans to answer the bell, or maybe better said, to answer the alarm, to set the thing early, to wake up, to get into the stadium early, to to make the entire day feel like what it's supposed to be, The you know arguably one of the biggest games in the SEC on Saturday, that you know, create the kind of crowd atmosphere that makes that true. Make this a commercial for Georgia football, both for the fans who want to see a win and the recruits who want to see what their life could be like over the course of the next three to four years. And don't think for a moment that when Smart makes this pitch, the things that Sam Pittman just said there about his love for Georgia, his love for the state of Georgia, the University of Georgia, his his authentic, deep roots that tie him genuinely to all of this, don't think for a moment that doesn't help make that pitch. In fact, let me go to Monday for a moment. We played you earlier this week what Smart said post game from Saturday, already starting the push. Hey, make this be elite. Be elite as fans. Do this. Show up. Be in the stadium. Create the crazy loud atmosphere. Get there and get ready to get wild. When Smart kind of came back to the same topic again on Monday, listen to the way that Smart, I think, just naturally kind of leans on some of the same kind of stuff that Sam Pittman said that he sees in Smart. Behind closed doors, working for him, a guy that's so ambitious and so driven. The thing that drives him, Pittman says, is his love for the university, his love for the actual state. And that's kind of what Smart leaned on on Monday when he once again made a pitch to those fans to be in the stadium, make it be as big of an atmosphere as it needs to be. Here's Kirby Smart on that. I would just say the opportunity to show the world Georgia you know for me it's about recruiting and I know this is best university on planet and I want everybody else to know it so to do that you need to have a, a incredible fan base that our guys have been awesome this year I just want that to continue uh, with an opportunity to to play early we're going to have tons of uh, great prospects here and we want to show them the hospitality that we expect uh, every home game to be like for them smart says there's no doubt in my mind this is the best university on the planet. Is there anybody who would doubt Smart's sincere belief in that? And is there anybody who would question that that gives Smart a, a connection to Georgia that not all great coaches have with the place where they're coaching? You know, does, does Dabo Swinney have that at Clemson? He didn't graduate from Clemson. Does Nick Saban have that at Alabama? Nick Saban's worked at a bunch of places besides Alabama. Uh, on and on you could go with great coaches who've had great success and maybe they've fallen in love with the place where they're currently working, but Kirby Smart had never an opportunity to do anything other than love the University of Georgia because he grew up in the state. He played for that program. It's been a part of his DNA and his blood as long as he can remember. So when he says, we think this is the best university in the world, you really believe him and you take him at his word when he says that. And the thing that this reminds me of going into Saturday so much is think back to 2016 for a moment, first G-Day of Kirby Smart and his push for 93K that day. That's a really big ask. And I think there were a lot of people who thought it was kind of impossible. Like, you can't get 93,000 people for a spring game, not in Georgia when everybody's playing youth league baseball and everybody's, you know, doing whatever else. You can't get that many people to show up on a day like this. 
And the truth is they had to turn people away. There were more than 93,000 people trying to get into the stadium there that day. When Smart made a specific ask of his fan base, he got what he wanted because I think the people responded to the, the genuine nature of the request. And I think the same thing's going to be true on Saturday. I think that you're going to see a noon game crowd unlike any you've ever seen before with students in the stadium at least an hour before kickoff with fans, you know, getting there early to get a little bit of tailgating in and maybe you get some breakfast beer or you get some, you know, uh, Bloody Mary or screwdriver or whatever you need to get going, get yourself a meal. Maybe instead of like like smoking a whole hog, maybe you're having some bacon or some sausage as a way of, you know, <laughs> uh, symbolizing chewing up the opponent, but whatever it is, I think the alumni fans are going to be doing the same kind of thing. And just the uh, average run-of-the-mill, you know, stakeholder to this Georgia program going to fe- be feeling very much the same way. That smart, who doesn't ask much from his fans, you know, at least in this specific of a way, all that often has specifically requested to make this feel like a noon game atmosphere, unlike any that's been seen around the SEC in a long time. And based on the fact that Smart, as Pittman said, is so deeply tied to Georgia, and based on the way that Pittman described the love that Kirby Smart has for UGA, when Smart says he wants this from UGA fans, my guess is on Saturday he's going to get his wish. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We actually start at 9.45 in the morning on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app for our first and 15. That's so much fun to be able to do each and every day. And for those of you who join us there for that, really appreciate that. Podcast form, for those of you who want the audio version and you want it on demand, the Apple Player, Spotify, all the other podcast platforms there as well. And, of course, on the radio at noon each and every day on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Fun stuff there, too. Big thanks to our friends at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort for making it all possible. You know, it's only about a two-hour drive from where I'm sitting here in our Dog Nation World Headquarters studios. So for those of you looking for that weekend getaway during this time of year, the Harris property is a great one, whether it's the original Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. You can enjoy the casino uh, floor and the table games they have there, the slot machines, of course, the luxurious gourmet dining opportunities, some great shopping experiences that are always kind of a fun thing to be able to do, uh, the world-class spa, and, of course, now sports gaming has come to the mountains of western North Carolina and the Cherokee properties. Uh, you can now place your bet there at the uh, Caesar Sportsbook, which is Really, really cool, whether it be college football on Saturday, the pro football on Sunday, baseball kind of coming down to the wire, all of that, you can get your uh, wagering action in at Harris Cherokee Casino Resort and Harris Cherokee Valley River. So check out the website for more details. It's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information on that. We certainly appreciate Harris Cherokee Casino Resort making Dog Nation Daily possible for you here today. Now, coming up in a moment, we're going to do something on the show that we probably have not done uh, enough of. Last couple of days, one of the big topics around Athens has been the health status of Tyke Smith, the health status of Darnell Washington, some of those other receivers who are trying to come back from injury. Been a lot from Kirby Smart on that. We probably have not highlighted that on the show as much as we probably should with everything else that's going on. So we'll correct that today with Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. Uh, Mike will talk to us about the hopeful tone that Kirby struck on Monday regarding Tyke and Darnell in particular and the I don't know if you say it was walked back yesterday, but maybe a little less hopeful tone on Tuesday about both those same guys. So we'll try to figure out where all of that is coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today, which is furnished by our friends at Rooms to Go. And I mentioned before the challenge from Kirby Smart to Georgia fans to create a huge, huge atmosphere on Saturday. I believe Georgia fans answer that call from Kirby for the reasons I discussed a moment ago. But also, Georgia simultaneous to this is going through the challenge of making the day a gigantic one in terms of hosting elite recruits. And I got to tell you, this list right now is certainly shaping up in a way that's probably way better than a lot of folks thought it might, just given the fact that it is the early start and there's logistical challenges with travel and things like that. There is no shortage of big names expected to be on hand. Let me run through a couple of these uh, things here for a moment. First of all, if you're watching on video, how much do you love the image here for Kamari Wilson, the five-star safety from IMG Academy, who tells us on Instagram that his visit to Georgia on Saturday will be an official visit. And if you're not watching on video, I'll describe the uh, cat, the the 
the image here. It's Wilson with the goat kind of looking over his shoulder, obviously acknowledging Wilson's potential of being the greatest of all time. This is a very clever edit that Kamari Wilson shared and also letting us know that he's going to be taking an official visit to Georgia this weekend. That's a huge deal for a priority target for the dogs. Good to have him on hand. But that's not by no means the only ones. I hope you saw the report and update that Jeff Sintel had for us yesterday at DogNation.com. The fact that five-star defense tackle Bear Alexander is expected to be on hand. The big-time, impressive current USC commit Mikhail Williams is expected to be on hand. Shamar Stewart's expected to be on hand there as well. More names kind of rolling in, and we're going to keep updating this list with Jeff and all of you as we head towards Friday when Jeff makes his appearance here on the show. But, y'all, this ain't no, like, you know, uh, noon start when it comes to in bad grammar intentionally, but this ain't no noon start recruiter visitor list, right? This is this is like the biggest of the big names, and that's the kind of energy that George is creating around the program right now, regardless of when these games are starting. And, you know, I, I, mean, I briefly mentioned this with Connor Riley yesterday on the show, and I, I told you at the time I wanted to kind of spend a little bit more time on this, but if you go back to last Friday for a moment, and this is something I talked about a lot, and, I, and, and Jeff kind of echoed some of this on Friday, that what you're seeing from Georgia right now is a recruiting pitch that I think, even though Georgia's had great success in recruiting, you know, the last however many years that Smart's been here, I think the kind of pitch that you're seeing from Georgia now is so different than anything this program's ever had a chance to offer because this is no longer a team that's statistically dominant alone. This is a team that's creating the highlight reel worth of plays. This is a team that is entertaining to watch. And in college football, I think it's kind of cool how closely aligned the entertainment value of a team is and their chances for success. The best teams in college football happen to also be pretty fun to watch, generally speaking. And right now, Georgia's kind of both. Arguably the best team in the country, also really entertaining on both sides of the ball. And I think one of the reasons why you see a list of recruiting visitors for a noon start way better than you might sometimes expect for a game that kicks off so early is because of how entertaining Georgia is to watch here at the moment. And Jeff echoed that sentiment on Friday when he joined us here on Dog Nation Daily. So as a part of Rooms to Goes around the doghouse here, let me let you hear Jeff on that, and maybe this offers an explanation for exactly why Georgia has had so much success convincing five-star visitors to show up in Athens on Saturday. This is good from Jeff. Let's be very frank. I think we live in a visual world now, or at least these recruits between the ages of 16 and 19 do. And if you give them stats like Georgia's rated number one in total defense and number two in total defense or haven't given up a rushing touchdown and yada, 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 I think that will only go so far. You know, we can point to these scores. You know, we can point to a South Carolina game, a Kentucky game, a, a Missouri game, uh, games over the past two years where, where Georgia was like, well, that's a win. It's good. One side of the ball looked good, or this guy looked good, but you don't see guys creating that visual Instagram real highlight all over the place. Those are all these things where Georgia is putting, as well as that light show looks, as well as those black jerseys look, as well as those recruiting rankings look, Georgia looks like that on the field now, and I can't tell you how big of a difference that's making on their recruiting trail. A lot of you remember when I said this before the season began, that sometimes the most accurate information is looking at all the available info and just thin slicing what matters more than anything. What I told you before the season started is you'll know how good Georgia is based on how fun they are to watch. Remember when I said this? I said if Georgia's fun to watch, that's all you need to know because great college football teams are fun right now. It's been true for the last few years. They sack quarterbacks. They have explosive plays offensively. Uh, the teams that are fun are also winning games. And if you're watching Georgia and if you're having fun doing so, if you're seeing them fly around on defense, if you're seeing them explode offensively, then the level of entertainment value probably correlates pretty well with the degree to which Georgia is likely to win the, the biggest games it's playing there as well. We notice that as fans and media types. The recruits themselves notice that too. So, there is no noon start that's going to kill the Georgia fan buzz right now. There is no noon start that's going to throw a wet blanket over the energy that exists with this program. This is a team that's incredibly entertaining, 
and the recruits themselves want to be in the stadium to see the show and to see what happens next and to imagine themselves on this same big stage getting a chance to create some of those same highlight-type plays. We said before the season began, the level of fun this team is having would go a long way towards determining the level of success this team is having, and so far, so good on all of that. It's Around the Doghouse. It's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And listen, there's nothing that feels better than to look around and just feel good about where you're living. And great furniture is obviously a big step in that direction. And Rooms to Go has got you covered on all of that. Whether it's the accent piece you need for a room that's already finished or the single piece of furniture that's just perfect for your comfort, for your enjoyment, or you want the entire room furnished. That's obviously what Rooms to Go has been famous for for a long time. Not just inside, but outside. Not just for adults, but for kids there as well literally whatever you need whether it's the patio furniture the living room you need something for a bedroom you need something for your child's room you need the entire room rooms to go can cover you for all of that so stop by and see one of their showrooms and touch the furniture feel it sit on it lay on it find out just how comfortable it is and how great it looks or you can start your shopping experience online as well rooms to go.com that's the number that's the word to spelled out rooms to go rooms to go.com and you can check all of that out today. All right, good stuff from us. We're going to have more recruiting talk on the show before we're done, including a very important update on four-star tight end Oscar Delp. We will do that here in just a little bit. But for now, want to get deep into what we expect to see on Saturday between the white lines between Georgia and Arkansas. And as I told you before, you know, one of the big issues that we got to examine pretty closely here for injured Georgia players, knowing this is around the time they're supposed to be coming back, Initially, a hopeful uh, rhetoric when it comes to Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington. Maybe yesterday from Kirby Smart when he updated this again, maybe a little bit of a step back on some of that where you're left to wonder, you know, how big of an impact can they really be? Uh, obviously, uh, Kyrus Jackson, Dominic Blaylock, a part of this discussion there too. We will discuss all of that coming up with Mike Griffith as part of a practice report presented by Georgia Farm Bureau. We'll also get deep into what Arkansas brings to the table. This is a team that has been very impressive in going 4-0 thus far and exceeding expectations in each and every one of those games by a wide margin. The Hawks look like a pretty good team right now. What do they bring into Athens with them on Saturday? Let's get all of that with Mike Griffith right now. It's presented by Georgia Farm Bureau, and we're glad to have you with us. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll say hello to Mike Griffith, Georgia Farm Bureau practice report here on Dog Nation Daily. And, Mike, the big news regarding Georgia practice in the last couple of days has been the return of Tyke Smith, the return of Darnell Washington, but also the tempered expectations by Kirby Smart, especially when it comes to yesterday when he spoke Tuesday night to uh, you and the rest of the media contingent there. So, for the folks who maybe are trying to follow all of this and haven't been able to keep up with it all, or for the person that has followed all of this and kind of wants to know where this is going next, give me your thoughts, give me your opinions, and give me the facts when it comes to Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington here at the moment. Sure, Brandon. So the timeline is really important here um, to remember. You know, last week Kirby was getting optimistic that these players could be back from a foot injury. Uh, they had targeted the Vanderbilt game. And, you know, Georgia made a conservative decision to leave both these guys at home so they could continue to rehab and rest because they really wanted them for this game. And so Monday morning when Kirby met with the media, it was before the Monday and Tuesday practice. And he said they were full go. And, and the plan was for them to be full go. But as he told us last night, after observing these guys in two practices, uh, he, ca- he ca- characterized them as up and down. Uh, one had one good day, one had a different good day. Uh, there was still some issues uh, some that led him to say there's a ways to go. And, and now he's not so certain about this weekend. Uh, he's hopeful uh, that they'll contribute. In other words, yeah, you know, these, these guys are still guys that Georgia expects to have back. But, you know, the thing about these foot injuries, and, and Brandon, I remember this, you and I sat in that press box next to one another, you know, throughout the 2019 season, you know, looking for number three in the warm-ups, wondering when the heck, you know, Tyson Campbell would be back. Um, you know, when he back from a foot injury? Foot injuries are tough, you know. You have to remember that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's so many bones in your foot and all your nerve endings are in your foot. And, you know, foot surgeries are tricky, and it, it takes time. And this is, These are two dynamic, powerful athletes. You know, your cornerback with that sprinter speed, the back, you know, the back pedal, the twisting, the turning of the foot. 
Uh, Darnell, the 6'7", 280-pound powerful man uh, down in the trenches, also with the with the sprinter speed. I mean, Darnell's a guy who tops out at the same speed on that GPS as Brock Bowers. Just just to whet your appetite a little bit and remind you how special that guy is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're all impressed with Brock Bowers. But but Darnell does that at 280. No, so, I... you know, you really, really want to make sure you have him healthy before he comes back. And just talking with people, uh, they, they've been in and out. And, and, and so that's where it is. And, you know, the good news is that neither one of them are playing – what I would call a need position. I mean, Breeny has done a nice job at the star position. I think the fact that Kirby sent him out for media interviews last night was was kind of an indicator that yeah. you know he's doing his job right. I like this kid, and, and of course Brock Bowers and John Fitzpatrick are, are handling those those dual tight end duties. Now Fitzpatrick is not as dynamic as Darnell. He's not a game changer, but even when you get these guys back, it's going to take a couple few weeks. So to me, uh, you know, my opinion, now this is where I weigh in with the opinion part, the opinion part is you don't push this. You give it another week. You, you try to get him out there and, and get him some snaps uh, at Auburn, um, maybe Kentucky, because really let's, let's circle October 30th and, and let's just call yep. it for what it is. That's when you want these guys 100. You don't want to risk losing them for the season by pushing them too soon. Totally agree, and I'd add to that, you know, these things just have a way of kind of lingering. And as I think we all know that, and I take Kirby very seriously on this, there's the idea of, well, you can play, but there's also that perfect game shape where you're like in the same rhythm that Breeny and, and Bowers and these guys that have been playing those positions are kind of in, and it takes a while to get there. So I think as a fan here, I'm kind of comfortable with them playing maybe some on Saturday, maybe some the following week at Auburn, and, you know, kind of then kind of getting a little bit more ready for Kentucky. And then, like you said, you know, you think about October 30th where you want to have all hands on deck. That's a kitchen sink game against Florida. You want to throw everything you can at the Gators. And so maybe then at that point in time, assuming all goes well for Georgia in the games leading up to that, now you've gotten them some game reps. Now they are not just healthy enough to play, but also in game shape along with that. So even some snaps on Saturday, assuming this is a game in which Georgia handles its business, but some snaps on Saturday, some snaps the next couple of games after that, I think that increases the likelihood that they are now truly healthy for that game against Florida, which is still a game that no matter how much hype this Georgia-Arkansas game has, it pales and compares to what Georgia-Florida is likely to be, I believe. Well, there's no doubt there's a give and take, Brandon. On the one hand, you want them to play because you want them to get back up to game speed. You want them to get that timing. Uh, you want them to get back into that football shape, right? But at the same time, you don't want to press and, yeah. and put them in a position to risk re-injuring. Uh, the foot, and, and that—that's where the science comes in. You know, that's where the the medical staff, the training staff. Uh, you know, you hope that Scott Sinclair. I mean, boy, it's it's been a tough year for Scott Sinclair and that strength and conditioning staff. This it's not been ideal with all the injuries. That's something that you know they're going to look closely at, and you know they're going to scrutinize that. You know, why is Georgia having these you know off season injuries? You know, uh, but but right now it's in the hands of Ron Corson and his medical staff, and. And they have to make that difficult decision of, you know, are, are these, what's the percentage, uh, the risk factor, you know, of bringing a guy back? And that's why I referred back to that Tyson Campbell, even though it was a different kind of foot injury. You know, we remembered, uh, you know, that, that literally it was, it was a game day decision three or four weeks in a row. We, we'd see him warming up. We'd look at each other. Is he going today? Hell, we don't know. You know, and then, you know, you'd ask Kirby, hell, well, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's coming along, you know, next week, maybe next week, next week. And, and there was a lot of optimism, but I can tell you these players are not going to put themselves out there if, if, if something doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, and Kirby doesn't want them to. And so I understand that, you know, the fans are eager, uh, but, you know, there's, there's real human beings involved here, and, and they don't want to do anything to risk all that off-season work they put in. Um, okay, we, you know, we talked about targeting Vanderbilt. It didn't work out. Well, well, maybe Arkansas doesn't either. But, you know, the, the body heals, uh, you know, at a different rate for different people. No, I don't think there's any shell game. I don't think Kirby's playing any games here. I, I think he was genuinely very optimistic Monday morning. And now two practices in, he sees, you know, that these guys are still somewhat limited. And I'll say this one more thing on the injuries, and we'll change the subject. Boy, you just can't get that good news on Kiaris and Dominic, can you? I mean, you just keep wanting to hear – 
hey, all these receivers are looking great, <laughs> and, and you just can't get there. You know, the Dominic Blaylock thing from Monday, a little disappointing. That, that sounds like that hamstring now is is lingering around. And, you know, Kirby yesterday, and as you said, there's always going to be that thought of some fans, well, maybe Kirby's just sandbagging in all of this. But apparently on the heels of the Vanderbilt game where, where, where uh, Kyrus did play some receiver that – Maybe, you know, they don't feel like he's even, you know, uh, 100% yet. You, you're just really looking forward to hearing that, oh, man, these guys are great. You know, they, they you know, bench-pressed a you know, bulldozer today. And you just can't quite get that that truly positive update on any one of these guys yet, can you? Well, and, and you know what happens, Brandon, is, is we all we all circle Nick Chubb and say, oh, look, here's the best-case scenario, right? But what you need to realize is that's, that's a – that's a one in a thousand. I mean, the Nick Chubb, the Nick Chubbs, not everybody and, and most don't. Most don't heal up like that. You know, Dominic Blaylock, there, there's a lot going on in that guy's life beyond football, obviously. And, uh, you know, here's a guy that, that re-injured a knee. Uh, it's been over a year. But what happens when you're training, coming back from an injury, is that other parts of your body uh, work to compensate for that weakness. And that's where the hamstring pull comes in. It, it, it's not that he's not working out. It's just that your, your body no longer has that balance. And, and, and look, you know, I, you know, one late, one late night at, at the local pub, you know, 10 years ago, I was talking to an orthopedic surgeon. And he said, people come in and say, Doc, fix me. And, and they don't realize. That there's no magic wand here. You know, we're fortunate. Most of us are created in a very fortunate way. Um, but to try to balance that out once you've broken a bone or dislocated something. I mean, hey, I lost my golf swing when I separated my shoulder mm-hmm. uh, when I was uh, 24 years old making a diving catch in softball. I, I never got my golf swing back, B.A. At least that's my excuse. <laughs> I mean, so you're never really the same. Uh, most people are never, no, oh, well, I'll come back stronger than ever. Well, maybe, but can the other parts of your body handle that transition, why you find your balance again. So the Blaylock thing has been frustrating. Uh, the Kiers Jackson knee thing has been frustrating. But but here's the good news. Along the way, a guy by the name of Lad McConkey emerged. Yep. And this kid is exciting. Yep. He he's got this Hunter Renfro uh, look about him, you know, interviewing Lad, oh, fine young lad, let's let's go ahead and make it the cliche. This, this guy was going to you know, Army or Vanderbilt. I mean, this kid came in with the sophomore in college type of credentials. I mean, this guy uh, is exciting after the catch. And it just with, you know, former quarterback, former point guard. I mean, this is a guy who when he lines up on the line of scrimmage, him and JT, you know, got that ESPN going, as <laughs> we say. <laughs> yeah, listen, they've connected very well, uh, almost supernaturally at times. It seems like uh, a couple of those times, certainly on Saturday there for sure. Let me turn my attention, Mike, to Arkansas here for a moment. And, you know, I was asked this today, and I'll ask you a similar question now. Like, I was asked, hey, you know, where does Arkansas concern you if you're Georgia? And the place that I zero in on here, Mike, is is that I look at the tandem of coordinators. Kendall Browles running the offense, Barry Odom running the defense. And this is not Johnny Come Lately take for me. Uh, I didn't see Arkansas being as good as they are right now, but I told you when, or I told everybody when, when Pippen made these two hires, that's a good a tandem of coordinators, I believe, as exists in the SEC. Browles is a mastermind offensively, and Odom is diabolical genius when it comes to defense. I don't know that they have the horses to compete with Georgia, but the game plan they're capable of devising to get the most out of whatever they do have, it clearly worked against Texas A&M. It clearly worked against Texas. So if you're talking about the possibility of this Arkansas game being closer than the experts think it's supposed to be, I really look at Odom and Bryles as the main reason why that happens. I have great respect for these two uh, coordinators, and I think the success that Auburn's had, excuse me, that Arkansas has had through four games is the evidence that would support that point. I, I agree. You know, I, the exit. You know, this isn't the UAB coaching staff here getting you know beat by the same bunch formation for you know thirty minutes. Good grief, you know, or or, or the Vanderbilt staff with their you know inability. I don't know. They forgot to serve the Commodores breakfast. Or something. you talk about two really poorly coached and prepared teams. My goodness, uh, those teams were awful. Uh, you know, you're right. And, and both of these guys are fantastic. And, and Kendall Browse is coming close to that. You know, head coach opportunity and, and Barry Odom's been there and, and Barry Odom's a guy that Kirby Smart 
holds in very, very high regard. And, you know, Kirby looks at everybody else's defense and the fact that he's this, you know, Barry Owens is the kind of guy that could be working for Kirby Smart someday. I mean, he really could. If he's, if he does, if the head coaching thing doesn't work out, this is a guy that Kirby would bring on the Georgia staff. There's no doubt about it. He genuinely loves the way this guy thinks. He respects him. But, but, but here's, here's the deal. This is what it comes down to. This, this is going to be a banged up Razorbacks team. Okay. They, they just came out of a very physical, very emotional game uh, against AM. Now, I'm not saying they can't get up for Georgia because they're all in and there's a lot of super seniors, but they're going to need explosive plays to stay in this football game. And they're going to go at Keely Ringo or Amir Speed, whoever's at corner. Okay, that's the Achilles heel of this Georgia football team right now is that position. And you can put all the phony metrics out there you want. Hasn't been beat deep for this. There's been two pass interference calls against Clemson where he was smoked. They got beat four times over 35 yards by South Carolina. If you look at the offenses they've played, nobody ranks higher than 78. What Arkansas does extremely well is the deep ball. And so, you know, there's, and, and, I, and I can just tell you that, that you know, the, 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 the surrounding talk around Buttsmere is, you know, people need to stop tweeting out their stats and realize they're the weak point because the front seven ain't it, okay? The front seven is incredible. Those safeties are strong. DK has come in and done more than adequate at the corner. So it's that other cornerback position that you need to circle. And that's where Arkansas is coming. I'm telling you, they're going at them. There's no doubt in my mind, 100. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Traylon Burks may be the best receiver in this league right now. And that's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily expect to see when you see Arkansas. But, I mean, this is a guy, and Kirby said this, they use him all kinds of ways, right? I mean, it's like some of the creative stuff that Georgia did with McConkie and, and Bowers on Saturday – that's what Arkansas has been doing with Burks, right? It's like you got K.J. Jefferson, who knows how healthy he is, but it's like he's not the most accurate quarterback, but it's one thing to be said for, hey, I may only hit on half my passes, but if a few of the ones I hit on are, are true explosives, then a would-be blowout turns into a little closer game. So you do got to you got to be very – got to really pay attention to what Burks is doing at all times on Saturday because that is the one thing that if Arkansas can block it up front with that front seven with Georgia, then a guy like Burks gives you a chance to swing for the fences, and I'm guessing that that's what Arkansas tries to do a handful of times on Saturday because, Mike, the best that I can tell is that's their only real chance, right? I mean, they have to just hope that they connect on a couple of those home run type plays. Otherwise, the game is going to be every bit the, the wide margin of victory for Georgia that experts think it's going to be. But if you hit a couple of those home run throws to Burks, all of a sudden, you know, things change a little bit. Well, that's that's absolutely uh, true, Ba, and and uh, you know Jefferson can run also, so you're you're right. Yeah. His health is important. He reminds me a little bit of T. Martin, you know, at Tennessee in '98. I mean, T. Martin was only completing 50 percent of his passes halfway through the year, but when he was hit, he was striking deep, and and he had a good run game to go with it. So, uh, on the flip side, though, on the flip side, you mentioned Barry Odom, and we we have to look at this Georgia offense and. You know, Arkansas can do a lot with their front seven. They can do it. They can come at you a lot of different ways. They're gonna. They're very multiple. And this is gonna be a. This is gonna be another one of those chess matches for JT Daniels. Totally. But even more important, uh, it's gonna be paramount that Georgia has the right play packages going in. You know, they got outcoached against Clemson. All right. There's. There's no. You know. There's no way you can say it any other way. Uh, you know, Clemson did a masterful job of, of, of throwing a defense at Georgia that they absolutely did not anticipate. They threw the left-hander instead of the right-hander, and Georgia's batting lineup was already set, essentially. And, and JT had to make do with what he had with very young receivers who weren't able to make those adjustments on the fly because he doesn't have a lot of reps with these guys, which is part of the reason why I was surprised he didn't play at least two quarters against Vanderbilt. He needs that work and that chemistry, my goodness. Um, so... You know, you wonder what I – and this is where we're going to dial it back one more layer into the run game. You've got to be able to run the ball. And the elephant in the room on the offensive side is that the running game has not been great. Yeah. Now, Kirby will tell you it's been efficient, and you can look at the yards per carry and go, well, you know, everybody's making five yards per carry. They're not explosive, though. I mean, we're four games into the season, and there hasn't been a run longer than 23 yards from a running back. The longest run of the season is 24 yards by Ladd McConkie. Now, Brandon, that's not good. We can't keep saying we can't put lipstick on the pig or put lipstick on the pigs if Georgia cannot run the ball effectively. And this rotation is 
too deep. You can't get away from it. Nobody's running for running back rotations because it doesn't work. Melvin Gordon came out last night and talked about that in Denver. That a two running back rotation makes it hard to get a rhythm. You know, four? You, you just, it doesn't happen. There's a problem there. This is the logjam that was created last spring when Cook and Zamir came back. One of those guys was supposed to leave, but they didn't. And so now you've got a logjam and you've got no rhythm in your backfield. So well, those are the two areas of concern for me. That cornerback position with Keely Ringo and Amir Speed and at running back where no one seems to be able to find their groove as evidenced by the fact that you've played a couple of lousy teams and your longest run by a running back is only 23 yards. Let me respond to that, but first let me remind folks, this is our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report. It's brought to you by our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. And listen, going back to like the 1950s, Georgia Farm Bureau has understood what matters to Georgians. These are hardworking people that are trying to get to work each and every day, which means you need dependable transportation. And when you think about your vehicle and the way in which you depend on it, you also need to be able to depend on your insurance carrier to be able to take care of you there as well. And that's what Georgia Farm Bureau is so well known for. I'm talking about local service, local claims adjusters, people that are, are friendly and relate to you and what's so important to you when it comes to the auto insurance that you have for the vehicle that really supports your life, right? I mean, I think about myself this time of year. You know, we're taking, you know, daughter to gymnastics, son to baseball, where, you know, going to, you know, work, where we're, you know, you know, rolling around all over the place, uh, trying to get it all done. And that's what uh, Georgia Farm Bureau uh, certainly helps all of you know Georgia do. They've been a part of Georgia's communities for as long as any of us can remember, going back to the 1950s here and beyond. And so you can find them online to get more information on this. It's gfbinsurance.com, gfbinsurance.com. That'll get you in touch with the Georgia Farm Bureau. Mike, uh, to respond to the thing about the running backs, there's no denying that this is not an explosive Georgia rushing attack right now. The numbers bear that out. Maybe that improves over the course of the season, maybe it doesn't. But here's the one silver lining I would put on that, is that if you want to go back to a year in, like, say, 2019 with DeAndre Swift, where I'm guessing Georgia probably had more explosive runs they have right now, it was overall a less explosive offense. So I can tolerate a Georgia rushing attack that's efficient and not explosive as long as the offense in general is more explosive, and that's clearly the case right now. That Georgia's getting its, its explosive plays from the passing game, and if you continue to do that, then all you really need is the efficient offense to help you move the chains and and chew up clock when you're winning and just keep teams off balance and keep them guessing. You just got to be explosive somewhere, and right now the fact that Georgia's getting explosive plays from the passing game in a way that they haven't typically gotten in the smart era, I, I take that as a really good thing, even if you're not quite seeing as many explosive runs. Well, I'm not going to complain about the offense overall, for sure. But but what should be happening is that that explosive pass game should be opening up the run. And you can go back and look at the championship teams at Clemson, Alabama, and LSU is is where the bar is set. And this team's not measuring up to that. Now, they're good. They're darn good. But they're not in that category offensively of, of 2019 Clemson, 2020 LSU, or 2021. Or let me go back there. 2018 Clemson, 2019 LSU, or 2020 Alabama. They're not that good. You know, we, we do need to temper this somewhat and be realistic. We've got to be realistic about it. Now, these guys look great. I'm the first to raise – I've got people asking me, is this the best you've ever seen, yada, yada. Look, the best offense you've played ranks 78th in the nation. 78th! And it was UAB. South Carolina, Clemson, Vanderbilt, they're past 100 even if you take into consideration that the Georgia game weighs their stats down, these are not great offenses that we've seen. So, number one, we, we have to be realistic and still wonder what happens when you run up against a decent offense that can exploit, exploit that secondary. Will it, be our, will it be Arkansas? Maybe, maybe not. I, I told you they're coming off an emotional win. They're due for a letdown. You mentioned the quarterback health is a question. Certainly, George is going to give that corner help over there. They're going to be shading. They're going to be giving Keeley or Speed all the help they can with that safety. They're not stupid. You know, and Sam's going to have to go on the other side and, and, and use one of his guys, you know, to maybe go after DK or, or you know, to poke some holes uh, in some seams. But so that's one. Two, defensively, I mean, other than Clemson, which, by the way, you know, shut Georgia down pretty effectively, uh, it's not like they faced the monsters of the midway here. I mean, Vanderbilt. South Carolina, UAB, uh, you know, so let, let's, let's temper it a little bit 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Georgia hasn't played anybody because that Clemson game was legit. That was a different Clemson team than, when you're, than what you're going to see right now that's going to be missing Skalski and, and going to be missing Brian Breezy and, you know, and, and is now no longer undefeated, right? That was a special game, and no one can take that away from Georgia. That was a legit top-five matchup with great coaching staff that were super prepared for that game. It felt like a Super Bowl, man. I mean, those teams were so – they knew the other team's call before it was coming. Those coaching staffs did incredible. So I'm not going to say they haven't played anybody. But at the same time, I'm realistic. And beating South Carolina and beating Vanderbilt and being UAB doesn't have my head in the clouds saying that all the questions are answered. I'm measuring this team up against what I believe are championship standards. And I can't tell you that the Georgia run game is playing at a championship level. I think JT Daniels is amazing and puts him in the right place. I think the offensive line is improving, but that's a drop-off, right? So, you know, we're going to find out more about Georgia. I think Georgia does win this game, Brandon. You know, we're going to do a pick show later this week, and, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that that I think they're going to win. But but I think they're going to win handily because I think they're fresh and they're hungry, and you're throwing some some, uh, Razorback meat at them. Uh, The pig is on a skewer, and, uh, you know, that Razorback team, they're high on the hog after beating A&M be real hard to get up emotionally two weeks in a row. So let me just finish with this, and I was going to ask you about Brock Bowers, but let me just finish on this topic, and I'll let you go because I've kept you long here. I totally agree with you that this team right now is not a 2018 Clemson or certainly not a 2019 LSU or a 2020 Alabama. That level of offensive achievement, especially the last two SEC teams, uh, even Clemson from 2018, that level of offensive achievement right now, that threshold just isn't open to Georgia. I do think, though, there's a very good chance this is the best offense that Kirby Smart has had since he's been here. And I do believe that come a month from now, we'll look at a Georgia running game that has improved because of that. Is it going to be as great a rushing attack as it was in 2017, 2018? Probably not. Is it going to be better than it appears to be right now? I think the more this passing game continues to develop, Mike, I just think you're putting defenses into conflict, and now they're forced to really decide how they want to defend you. And I do think we'll see improvement from the running game over the course of that time, even as the level of competition improves. So, you know, is this the best offense in the country? Probably not. Is it as good as the recent national champions have been? Probably not. There's also not that offense you know, on the horizon in college football right now either. This is a little bit of a step back offensively, at least for the very best teams in the country right now. So my guess is the next few weeks we see some improvement from the uh, running game to go along with right now, which is a a pretty potent passing attack. That's my belief, but I'll give you the last word. No, I think you're on it. I I agree. I I don't think this is the best offense I've seen, though. Uh, I think it's the best offensive quarter coordinator and the best quarterback I've seen at Georgia. Uh, the running backs haven't lived up to the DeAndre Swift standard and certainly not Chubb and Michelle. There's a drop-off there. There's a drop-off on the offensive line. The tight end play is unbelievable. I mean, I liked Ozzie not as much as anybody, but he was Brock Bauer. And to be fair, he wasn't put in a position to be. I bet you Isaac Nott is sitting back there going, damn, I wish I could play in that offense. Right? Yeah, a lot sure. of guys are. I mean, I mean, what uh, what we're seeing from Munkin is ingenious. I mean, this offense is, is tremendous, PA. You know, what you know, play the what if game and, and you know, what if you plug in uh, what if you plug Fromm and McCole Hardman and Riley Ridley and, and JJ Holloman and DeAndre Swift into this then what do you got? Whoa, national champion. That's the answer to that question. So Munkin gives you a chance. Now this line is gonna grow, this run game is gonna grow. This receiving core is going to grow. There's no doubt about it. And thank goodness, because you're going to lose about nine starters off your defense next year, right? But the question is, do they grow enough to win on October 30th? Do they grow enough to win the first week of December? And do they grow enough to beat whoever stands in their way, uh, whoever the college football playoff committee puts in front of them after they win the SEC championship? Do they grow enough to win those college football playoff games? But I, I, I love the scheme. I love the offensive mentality. It's fantastic. But you've got to find a running back or two that can separate and give you some explosive plays. You need to see McConkie continue to grow along with Jermaine Burton as he gets healthier, uh, you know, uh, along with A.D. on the other perimeter, uh, along with Darnell coming back. You need all that to grow. Right now I look into the garden and I see these, uh, these plants sprouting up. 
and we and we think they're going to blossom. We saw we got a little preview in the spring game, but but we have to temper it right now and realize, you know, uh, other than Clemson, you know, what's the talent been like on the other side of the field? Arkansas will be a good challenge, a fun game, and everybody should enjoy the campus environment because it's tremendous for the city of Athens and it's tremendous for recruiting and it's tremendous for Brandon Adams who loves doing his show when he's got another top 10 game to talk about. No doubt about that. We'll take that every day of the week. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for spending so much time with us here today. And we'll let you uh, get going. I know you want to cover this SEC Coaches Teleconference coming up. So good stuff coming out of that here in a couple of minutes. And we'll read it about it at dognation.com. Thanks for your time. Thanks, B.A. Have a great one. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, there's a lot to unpack from that, and I want to do it. And I'm going to try to get the SEC through in here too. So we got a lot going on here on a Wednesday. Let me also shout out my friends at the Finish Long Drink. You talk about getting going early with the tailgate on Saturday. The great news is Finish Long Drink tastes great for breakfast. I can tell you that. I mean, I feel like like the blue can is like the traditional with the grapefruit. That's essentially a breakfast drink anyway, right? People drink grapefruit juice for breakfast. So why not have a, a grapefruit uh, and, you know, gin kick? cocktail in a can on a Saturday morning I think that I think that actually works really well so uh, I told you how much my wife loves the long drink cranberry the long drink strong I like that as well a lot of you do too for the obvious reasons eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero for those of you who are uh, staying in your fighting shape which is always a great thing there too and it's going great Saturday morning as you get ready for that dogs in Arkansas game at noon, uh, the finished long drink, a great part of your tailgate here coming up. And if you haven't tried any yet, go to thelongdrink.com. You can find out more about it. You can see the whole story about how it started in Helsinki back in the 1950s, how it's been in the United States for a couple of years, and now available wherever you are in Georgia. You know, whether it be uh, you know, beverage stores or bars or a lot of golf courses. It's amazing how many golf courses have this there at the halfway house and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just a uh, just a really, really great part of our last uh, you know year or so here around Dog Nation, and so many of you enjoying it too. So check out thelongdrink.com for more on that. All right, so let me unpack a lot of what Mike said there at the end, and it kind of goes back to what I said yesterday. But the memory I have lingering in my mind for Georgia, that so much of what Saturday looks like could be uh, an unfortunate reminder of what 2019 was from Georgia, where Georgia, you know, beat up at like, like a bully on Vanderbilt and Murray State and uh, Arkansas State. And against, you know, Murray and, uh, and Arkansas State in particular, you know, Georgia scored 61 week, 55 the next week. There are not a lot of moments in the Kirby Smart era when Georgia scored 50-plus points in consecutive games, whether they did it against Murray State and Arkansas State back in 2019. And to have those easy wins to start the year, it kind of seemed like from a statistical standpoint that Georgia was riding high. Then you had the top 10 matchup against Notre Dame where Georgia was like a 17 or 18-point favorite. Everybody thought it was going to be really easy for Georgia. And it kind of turned out just not to be. This was a day in which Georgia, unfortunately, even though they won the game, even though the atmosphere was great and everybody you know remembers the light show for the first time, the overall numbers for Georgia that day were pretty meager. And it was a precursor to the rest of the season. Jake Fromm only averaged 7.2 yards per attempt, just 187 total passing yards. Georgia only averaged 4.6 yards per rush, just 152 total rushing yards. Georgia had to stave off a, a, a really a late comeback attempt for Notre Dame. And, you know, Cole Komet, the tight end, had a, everything he wanted from Georgia in the first half. This was kind of an underwhelming Georgia performance, and it was a reminder or at least a, a, a an image of what the rest of the season for Georgia would look like, where it just kind of disappointed after showing a lot of teeth against lesser competition to begin the season. Is the same thing going to happen on Saturday against Arkansas? My guess is probably not. My guess is because of the way in which Georgia's playing, what it's like to watch them play. This just feels like a different kind of team than that. And, yes, if, I'll, if, if I'm wrong, I'll clearly be disappointed, and we'll you know take our lumps on that if it turns out to be. But my guess is that Georgia doesn't, doesn't fizzle against Arkansas on Saturday the way that it did in a win as a big favorite back in September of 2019 against Notre Dame. And as far as the status of the Georgia running game, let me also say this really quick, too, and then we're going to turn our attention uh, to the rest of our SEC th- for a moment. It's obvious that it needs to get better. It's obvious that, it, that, that it's got to perform at a higher level to make Georgia as fully operational and powerful as it can be. But let's not be so quick to overestimate how far away it is from where it needs to be. You know, I think we have a picture in our mind of what other teams look like, and the actual stats sometimes tell us something different. For instance, 
you know, there's this lamentation among Georgia fans of, oh, why can't a Georgia running back right now be as good as Najee Harris was for Alabama a year ago? But the truth is, and we've said this in the show a lot before, that the overall statistical story for a guy like Harris, who became a first-round pick as part of an Alabama team that won a national championship, it's not that different than what Georgia is getting right now. You may be surprised to know this, but Najee Harris, in the midst of a year in which he rushed for 1,466 yards for Alabama a year ago, only averaged 5.8 yards per carry. You know, this idea that there are you know these great offenses getting way more explosive runs than what Georgia's getting, Harris averaged 5.8 yards per carry. Right now, Georgia's got two guys, Zamir White and James Cook, averaging 5.59 yards per carry. There's this thought that there's this huge difference between Cook and White right now and what a guy like Najee Harris did for Alabama a year ago. But the truth is, it's only, what, 0.2 yards per carry's worth of difference here? What Najee ultimately did was get a lot of carries for Alabama last season. They fed him heavily in fourth quarters last year when Alabama had big leads and was simply content just to salt away the game and kind of suffocate their opponent. That's what Najee Harris did for Alabama a year ago. But on a yards per carry basis, Najee wasn't that different than what guys like James Cook and Zamir White were doing. Now, over the course of a long season, he did it against better competition than this Georgia team has, you know, this year, clearly. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, Zamir's per carry average was pretty close to Najee's a year ago there as well. He just didn't get as many carries. So I don't believe that Georgia offensively has a threshold of achievement as good as Bama was last year or LSU the year before that or a Clemson team in 2018 that was probably better offensively than you realize either. I don't think Georgia's going to be quite that good, but can they be the as good an offense as any of the national championship contenders have? Have you watched Alabama? Have you watched Oklahoma? Have you watched what these teams have done? Uh, have you watched you know, Ohio State even, who we typically think of as a pretty high-powered offense? I think that threshold is available for Georgia in comparison to the best teams of this year. And I do believe the running game is going to get better um, over the course of time there as well. And a month from now, if I turn out to be wrong about that, then we'll see. And I'm not telling you it's going to be Chubb and Michelle. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not telling you it's going to be DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield in 2018. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you that a month from now, I believe we'll look at it and say, "Oh, because of the Georgia passing attack that's performed pretty well, it's better than it used to be." Uh, as teams were forced to truly consider the idea that Georgia can throw to beat you, all of a sudden now that softened up opportunities for what this Georgia rushing attack can do. So I have gone very long here. So let me roll through uh, a few SEC through type stories, and a lot of this is related to recruiting. Then after that, we'll get ready to wrap up the show. First of all, Oscar Delp has set his commitment date. The four-star tight end has put it out there, and we'll show you this on the screen, a chance to see from Delp, the big-time player out of West Forsyth High School. It's going to be October 13th, which is really coming up here pretty soon, 6.50 p.m. He says it's going to be live on uh, TV there, so that's a uh, fun thing to think about. I'm assuming that Georgia probably sits in a pretty good place for Delp. I have been of the belief that Georgia and Delp are probably pretty closely tied for a while and the fact that Georgia is now using his position so well, I mean, I don't want to overthink this. My guess is that probably that probably helps Georgia. I have taken other teams seriously in this recruitment, whether it be South Carolina, Clemson, or anything like that. I've taken other programs seriously, but you know, Georgia has made Delp a real priority, and it's also making his position a priority. My assumption is that probably works pretty well in the recruiting trail. So uh, this could be good news for Georgia. It'll at least be big news one way or another, and we're a couple of weeks away from finding out more about that. Speaking of big recruiting news, Alabama got a big commit. Elijah Pritchett, the uh, big offensive lineman, he's made his commitment here to uh, Alabama. Uh, it's like a top, you know, four, a top 100 type player in the country. If you're watching in video, you see him holding that national championship trophy. There is so much that could be done to aid Georgia's recruitment. You already know this, but I'm going to say that loud anyway. If you could make it less feasible for Alabama to show that recruiting image when it comes to commits, the idea of come here and hold this national championship trophy. Right now, that's a very relevant topic because Alabama is the defending national champion. But you want to open up Georgia recruiting success for another half decade to come, if not longer, make it less feasible for Alabama to sell itself as the place where, where you go to win national championships. That's clearly what Alabama used in a mighty way for the 2021 recruiting cycle because of how weird everything was with the pan pandemic. Make that less of a, of, of a relevant selling point moving forward. Boy, you change a lot for recruiting. Tony Mitchell, the five-star, speaking of the state of Alabama, he's from Thompson High School there, uh, the five-star 2023 uh, defense back has uh, put Georgia in his top seven along with Florida, 
LSU, Texas A&M, Alabama, Clemson, and Oregon. So Mitchell won to watch the class of 2023, a terrific Thompson program, and he's got Georgia in his top seven there. You may remember he's talking about Evan Stewart, the five-star wide receiver out of, uh, I think it's Frisco, Texas. So he's now opted out of the rest of his senior season of high school. And I got to tell you, man, you know, I don't like this kind of stuff. I think I think that guys are missing something by not finishing their high school career, whether it's Quinn Ewers or Evan Stewart or whomever else. I think they're missing something they're never going to get back. And it's about more than just a development as a player. It really, really is. I mean, I do these high school football games every Friday night on Peachtree TV, and you can't tell me the guys that are that are fighting and scratching and clawing with their teammates side by side every one of these games. You can't tell me they're not loving the experience and the value they're getting from that goes beyond just an NFL future or college football future or really any kind of future. It's about enjoying the present state of your life that you're in. Evan Stewart's gotten some horrible advice. I think Quinn Ewers got some bad advice. Uh, I don't, and first of all, I don't believe for a second Quinn Ewers actually getting a million dollars, but even if he was, you couldn't sell – you know, my own children's senior year of high school for a million bucks, my chance to influence them as a parent, their chance to experience the stage of life they're in. You, you couldn't convince me to do that at all. I mean, when you take these guys off of high school football, I mean, think about really out loud what you're doing here for a moment. You're turning them into child stars. We don't like child stars. Child stars are Britney Spears, people that eventually get into long, protracted, you know, legal battles with their you know, guardians over their finances and have a lot of very public, uh, you know, issues that, that, that kind of play out in kind of a grotesque way in front of the, the entire world. And I'm not picking on her because she's far from the only one, but we kind of know the, the life of the child star. And you can tell a million different horror stories about that. And the more and more we kind of push high school football players into the celebrity child star status, the more we're going to hear more and more about this kind of stuff there in football, too. And I can't help but notice, man, it seems like a lot of this kind of stuff comes from Texas. There is something about the water there in Texas that just kind of cultivates drama in a very weird way. And the SEC is about to bring this state into this league to an even greater degree than it already is. You better be very careful with that, man, because there is a lot of drama in the state of Texas. And a lot of it centers around high school football, and, and frequently it is not. It is not great, and I think this is another example of that. I got no beef with Stewart. I, you know, I wish him well wherever he ends up playing his college games, whatever else. But this idea of you're better not playing football, how you do anything is how you do everything. And this notion that you can decide when to flip the switch on, when to flip the switch off for your own competitive fire, for your own, for your own energy, for your own appetite for success, that now it matters, but now it doesn't, so therefore I'm not going to try hard. Boy, that is not how life works. How you do anything is how you do everything. And I don't think this speaks well of the current state of our sport at the high school level if you've got guys in Texas like yours and Stewart who are making that decision. But maybe I'm just too old school. We'll make that your SEC through and get ready to wrap things up here today. And uh, we've gotten a bunch of great Golden Shoe submissions here this week. I'm trying to get caught up on all of them because some of it's mocking Dan Mullen, which we obviously love, and some of it's about you know getting ready for those Hogs coming up on Saturday. And I always enjoy you know those kinds of things. And uh, with that in mind, a really good submission from our buddy Sugar Ray here, uh, who gives you a go dogs and popular meme, uh, the Woe Pig Suey on the one side, and then you got Ugga the Woe Pig Chewy on the other chomping down on some ribs told you before i'm a very big fan of opponent centric meals for tailgating whether it be you know like fried chicken when you play south carolina a good whole hog getting smoked up for arkansas or maybe saturday a little bit more bacon uh country ham or sausage or something like that either way a lot of folks going to be chewing on some pig getting ready to uh watch georgia do the same thing on the field on Saturday. Good stuff from Sugar Ray, our golden shoe winner for today. Gatorator countdown about 31 days from right now, Georgia against Florida. We'll see you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown, where we'll take a couple of your comments here at Twitter on Dog Nation Daily on Twitter or on the comment section there at dognation.com. We appreciate your thoughts on Everything as George gets ready for Arkansas on Saturday. We'll read a couple of these here right now. Bubba Bill writes in to say, hey, uh, Brandon, the funny thing about the recruit who tossed the uh, cap at the ceremony was that he didn't even have a scholarship offer from the dogs. This goes back to yesterday's show. We, we showed you on video the recruit who did this. And 
Um, let me pull up his name for a second. So uh, he says he didn't even have a scholarship offer from the dogs. In fact, he's not even ranked in the top 1,000 of the 24-7 sports composite and would likely never get an offer from Georgia. I think it was some type of ego trip for the kid to make people think he rejected uh, the dogs, crazy stuff. And I can't remember if I said this on the regular show or if I said this on video or where I said this, but it almost kind of reminds me of um, – uh, and by the way, his name's Robbie Harrison. That's the guy who threw the – the Georgia hat when he committed to Arizona State, and he chose Arizona State over what he said was a group of finalists that include Georgia and Toledo. First of all, <laughs> that's all you need to know about the situation is if your group of finalists includes Georgia and Toledo, something's not quite right about that. Um, I guess Michigan was also supposedly in the mix there too. But ultimately, you know, what it kind of reminds me of is, and I, if I've already said this, I apologize, but like when I was a kid – the Fab Five at Michigan was a huge deal in basketball. And post-Fab Five, Michigan was in every basketball recruits finalist for like forever. I mean, I'm guessing they're probably still kids that still kids that put Michigan in their finalists because, you know, they remember Jalen Rose and Chris Weber and Juwan Howard and all those guys, that it still kind of reverberates. It was the big brand. And Alabama gets a lot of this kind of stuff where it's like so and so chose TCU over Alabama. Well, is that really the way this is going? Or I'm just I just use that as an example. That when you get to be a certain brand, you are in everyone's finalist, whether you have a real offer or not. And so uh I guess Georgia has now as a program kind of risen to the same kind of stature as a program that all of a sudden, and we talk recruiting pretty heavily here on this program, but a recruit that we've never mentioned, that I've never heard of, that I wasn't even really sure who he was when I saw the video, is now throwing a Georgia hat on the ground before he commits to Arizona State. As I said before, I mean, I don't mind the recruiting drama, and you know, if if that's what made him happy, then I wish him well. Go to Arizona State and have a great career. Uh, it's fine by me, but it was certainly very interesting, you know, to kind of see on Twitter. Wait, what, what's happening here? This is a Georgia hat getting thrown down. Wait, who is this doing this? It's a pretty strange thing all the way around, and uh, I think Bubba Bill gives you some interesting context on that there. Jim Dog eighty five also writes in to say, "I look forward to a hard fought game on Saturday night against the Hogs." Or now that Sam Pittman is there, the Hogs, and he spells it H-A-W-G-S, which I don't mind. He says, hoping to see the run game continue to improve to take pressure off the depleted wide receiver core. Arkansas is due for a letdown after their big win in Dallas last week. I think our speedy linebackers will corral their running quarterback and force him to stay in the pocket. We need the victory this week so the Dogs can have the 330 start time at Auburn next week. And it's interesting, you know, you could make a case that you want the better TV window for Georgia-Auburn, but also 3.30 makes it a little easier for that Auburn crowd to get involved. So maybe you want that, maybe you don't. I think either way, the Georgia-Auburn game probably is at 3.30. You'd have to lose the game for that not to be the case, probably. But overall, I think you also bring up, you know, some really interesting points there as well. It's just really hard in college football to do it multiple weeks in a row. And, you know, Arkansas has played – a very high level of football, uh, really a sterling game against Texas A&M, a good ways away from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and now a second consecutive week against a very big opponent to ask to do the same thing. I do think the game from that standpoint does not really set up all that well for Arkansas for those reasons. And as far as the you know the 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 Georgia running game, it is a chance to kind of get that group going a little bit. You heard Mike and I talking about this in the uh, regular show a moment ago that. The more this Georgia passing game continues to progress, the more I believe it will also eventually benefit the Georgia running game too. We'll see if that turns out to be the case, but that's kind of what I am hopeful of there on that. Really good comments. Thanks for sharing them as a part of our podcast, Cool Down. And if you listen to this portion of the show but you've never interacted with me during it, I'd love for you to do that. Hit me up on Twitter, uh, HMU as the kids like to say. Hit me up on Twitter, at DogNationDaily, or put a comment there in the comment section, at DogNation.com. I'd love to share your thoughts with the rest of our audience and interact with you through this mechanism here as we do the podcast, Cool Down Each and Every Day. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it possible. RSAndrews.com for more on that. Hope all of you have a great day. Thanks for being with us here on this Wednesday, and we'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort.